This is Lead Like It Matters to God, and I'm Rich Stearns. I started this podcast to explore a critical leadership question. How should Christian leaders live out their faith at work? Over the course of my career, I've been the CEO of a toy company, a luxury goods company, and a large Christian ministry. And I've always believed that a leader's character is more important to God than a leader's accomplishments. On each episode, I'll be speaking with a seasoned Christian leader to explore their leadership journey and the values and qualities they believe to be most important in a leader. Today, I'd like to welcome Tammy Heim to the podcast. Tammy's had a remarkable career, starting out at Federated Department Stores, where she rose through the ranks to senior levels. She then did a stint in publishing as Executive Vice President and Chief Publishing Officer at Thomas Nelson Publishers, and she also served as CEO of Borders Bookstores. Tammy is currently President of the Christian Leadership Alliance. This is an alliance of Christian leaders who represent over 1,200 nonprofit ministries, churches, educational institutions, and businesses. The CLA influences the thinking, behavior, and the professional development of over 150,000 Christian leaders each year. So, Tammy, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining me today. So good to be with you, Rich. Thank you. Tammy, before you joined the CLA in 2012, as I just uh, recapped your resume, you had a really interesting career, a career that spanned multiple industries and categories. You have not just an amazing resume, but also a diverse resume. So I want to dive into some of the things you've learned about leadership at the CLA, but let me start with a question about that career. I love to ask this question of leaders, uh, especially those who have had what I call a zigzagging career that zigs and zags uh, from industry to industry and uh, different uh, organizations. Uh, were there one or two turning points that, when you look back at them, changed the entire trajectory of your career? and sent you in a different direction? And, and if there were, what were they? Well, I would have to say that actually the first career change happened the day after I graduated from college, Rich. I knew when I was seven years old that I wanted to go into business and specifically in retail, merchandising, and marketing. And, wow. and then I was on a course. I never changed. I never wavered in high school. As soon as I could, I got a job at a retail store. Um, I knew that's what I wanted to do in college. I didn't change my major a hundred times and even took so many hours at the end of my last semester, I was free to do interviews all over the country with different retailers. So I was so driven and focused. But then in that last semester, um, I was also, well, the whole four years, attending church every day at a local Catholic church. And I always say there were 14 out of the 42,000 students at Purdue that were there. And after I landed the dream job in April before I graduated, I was in church and I felt this distance from God. And I went out and I purchased a Bible. And for those remaining 45 days, I was immersed in God's word. And then when I came home after graduation, I went to my brother who had come to faith and I said, I don't want to live another day without Jesus Christ in the center of my life. And it was on that day, Rich, all that ambition that I had for my life flipped to an ambition for Christ, for following Jesus. And I was mm -hmm. ready to say so much for retail, so much for business. God, where do you want me to go? And he didn't take me out of it. He put me back into business. I surrendered all the plans that I made prior to graduating. Um, I took a completely different job with a different career path, but it was business was to be my ministry, but my attitude towards it and how I was thinking about my life completely changed. And I think that was what was so significant about the rest of my life. So I ended up going into a department store retail and I ended going, going back with Lazarus, who I had worked with through, through high school and college and served there for 22 years in total. And really thought I would live and die there. Um, you know, had a happy marriage and we were growing in our faith and I loved what I was doing, but then um, God called me out of that. And I would say that was a significant first jump. So it took six months of prayer and I guess the courage to say, okay, I'm gonna trust God to take us in a new place. And that was when I made the change 
And my husband and I, he agreed that God had something for us in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of all places. And mm-hmm. that was where um, I made that first move into um, a different type of retailing. And while there's a level of mastery that we have, you know, that we learn from one business to the next, I mean, this was different kind of leadership in department stores during the 80s and the 90s. If you remember, there was this consolidation and um, strip malls were hot and then lifestyle malls were hot and then there were big box retailers. So I went through all sorts of change in my years in department store retailing. But then when I got to Federated or to Borders, they were just under a billion dollars and they wanted to double their size and they didn't have the infrastructure or the know-how to do that. And that was part of why I was going there. And I thought, this is great growth. You know, how exciting is growth? Yeah. <clears throat> but what I learned quickly was that whether you're growing or contracting, it's change. And that you have to be a master of enrolling people and helping people, um, move to a different place than what they originally thought they were going or what they were doing. And so that lesson about change and what it means um, probably marked the rest of my life, not only in business, but then also understanding change and transformation in my own life as a Christian. You know, um, you talk about turning points in career Uh, for me, uh, the two biggest turning points in my career were getting fired. And, uh, you know, uh, when you get fired, it's a terrible shock to your system um, because it really challenges your whole identity. And, you know, who am I? And, you know, our, our identities are often so wrapped up in our title and our work. Um, but in my case, it was maybe the best way for God to get my attention. And you, you mentioned a word a minute ago, surrender that you surrendered uh, your life to the Lord. And that sounds like trite Christianese, but I, uh, you know, in my new book, Lead Like It Matters to God, the very first chapter on the values that a leader needs to uh, embrace is surrender. And I just believe that uh, for the Christian leader, the first thing you have to do before your first day of work is to say, Lord, not my will, but thy will. And I'm here to serve you uh, in this place, and I'm all in. And I'll go where you send me. I'll, you know, I'll, my career will be what you make of it. And I'm just going to show up every day, surrender to you, and, and try to glorify you in this workplace. And, you know, when I, uh, I became a CEO at age 33, and I certainly wasn't ready for it, um, but I don't think I fully surrendered. And so I got fired from that job after a couple of years. And uh, that led to a whole soul searching process where I came out of it saying, all right, Lord, I, I, I surrender. I give up. I can't do this myself. I don't want to do it by myself. I want to do it with you and for you. And, and uh, ultimately, those two times when I lost my job led to the most exciting work of my career. Um, and it was just letting God call the shots. And so, you know, that leads to my next question. Um, uh, given your experiences with changing careers and companies, what would you say right now to a leader in their twenties or thirties who's listening and they feel like they're just not in the right job right now? Uh, or maybe their heart's not in it because it, the job they have doesn't align with their passions and their hopes and dreams. What perspective might you give them uh, as someone looking back on a career as opposed to somebody early in their career? Um, I would just say, look to God and say, how do I roll away the stone today? What is it that I can do where I am in partnership with you so that if I'm faithful to do that, you can come and do the things that only you can do. And to recognize that wherever you are is where God has you today and that You know, scripture tells us that you've been created in Christ Jesus and that everything that would come has already been planned for you. You just need to trust and be faithful in the moment that you have. So it's today matters, but it's a different kind of today matters when you're putting your trust in Jesus. You know, that's really good advice because we we get anxious and we tend to look beyond the current situation and say, if only, 
if only I had this job or I worked at this company or this ministry or, and, uh, sometimes, you know, it's just patience. You know, the Lord wants us to just, uh, be in the moment where we are and serve him in that way and trust him for the outcomes. Right. And if you just kind of keep making the most of the job you have, um, a career is a very long time. And so you, you get impatient after three or four years. Um, but most of us will have a 40 year career, uh, maybe longer, uh, if we're in the working world and, uh, you can reinvent yourself in four or five times over 40 or 50 years of, of working. So, uh, your current job may not be your dream job, but it can be a stepping stone to your dream job. Well, there's so many lessons. I mean, I'm going to pick back up on what you said, just the experiences you had, you know, the zigzag and, you know, here was a moment where you may have felt like it was failure, but God was using that to, to prepare you for more. Um, I always, I always believe that the best thing that can happen to someone that's young is to fail hard, fast. And then to remember that it's not how far you fail, it's how quick you bounce up. You know, how do you shift your thinking mm -hmm. from not being a victim of something, but empowering yourself to say, what is it about my leadership that created this? And God, what is it that I need to know about myself um, at this season of life? Because as you, if, if you fall into your dream job and that you have a lot more responsibility and it's the first time you ever fail, it's so difficult. Um, and a lot of people don't survive that. But if we're learning and we make our mistakes and we're being shaped along the way, I think everything's boot camp for ultimately where God has us to go. And yeah. even for you, all of your corporate experience, what a transformational impact that had on your leadership at World Vision. And think of the knowledge that you brought and the difference it made and how it was able to expand God's work in the world. Well, you're right. And, and just like you said, I failed hard early <laughs> in my career and <laughs> yes. it, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, one, uh, one day after I'd been fired at Parker Brothers Games, of course, I was down in the dumps and uh, it was like a week later and I, I went to church and I was one of the ushers at church and, uh, there were other folks that were ushers and, uh, one of them looked at me, a man maybe in his 50s at the time, looked at me and said, hey, you look kind of down in the dumps. What's uh, what's going on, Rich? And I said, well, gee, I got fired this week and I lost my job. And, you know, even then, I, the church knew me as this young guy that had become the CEO of this local company, Parker Brothers in Massachusetts. And uh, it was kind of my identity, even at church, like that's the guy that is the CEO of Parker Brothers. And and this man's response to me was fascinating. Uh, when I said I'd been fired, he said, that's exciting. And I looked at him, I was like, what are you, crazy? What do you mean it's exciting? It's not exciting. It's horrible. It's terrible. And he said, no, it's exciting because there's only a few times in your life when you know that God is about to do something big, and I can't wait to see what it is. And I thought, well, what a great way to look at adversity, right? You know, that God is about to do something big in my life, and I just have to wait and see what it is. And, uh, you know, looking back, uh, I can see his perspective now. It did turn out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. And it led me on a path that ultimately led me to World Vision and my dream job, right? You know, leading World Vision for 20 years. And that was my dream job. Well, let's get into the CLA, the Christian Leadership Alliance. So for our listeners who may not know what it is, tell us, uh, what is the CLA? How did it start? And what's its mission today, Tammy? Well, Christian Leadership Alliance, or what is today known as Christian Leadership Alliance, because like many organizations, we've had a few name changes along the way. But um, we will be 45 years old in March of 2021. And we had our beginning in March of 1976. And really it was the inspiration of Ted Engstrom, who at the time was the CEO of World Vision International. Um, he had brought some accountants in from Ernst and Young to like take a look at all of the financial structure and reporting. And Ted was known as a man of excellence. And in fact, he wrote many, many books on the theme of management and excellence. And they came in, they looked at it. And again, you have to think about nonprofits probably in the early 70s. And um, so there's probably great opportunity. 
And they came back and said, well, we think that we can help you. And so they went to work and changed everything. And it was catalytic for the organization because now they had reporting that could measure impact. And so what it did is it opened up an opportunity to create champions of people that might have been more left-brained in investing in the ministry because they could measure and see the impact in the world and, and the work of World Vision International. Well, Ted was so excited, he charged um, his, his leadership to go and bring other Christian leaders together to share the best practices, you know, everything that they learned going through the process. And then they encouraged other ministry leaders to share, well, what's the best practice going on in your ministry right now? So it was leaders investing in leaders sharing the best that God had shown them about operating their ministry based on biblical principle. And Rich, we've been convening leaders and we'll convene again in June for 45 years to do that very thing. So I mentioned before, you know, God sent me into business as my ministry. And now I'm in a ministry where we're putting business into ministry and we're teaching mm -hmm. them again, operating excellence based on biblical principles. Now I happen to know that one of the greatest challenges you ever faced was just last year when just a few weeks before your big annual conference, and for the listeners, the CLA annual conference is their biggest thing. It is, it is where the ministry happened every year and it, it gave the ministry a huge boost and it sustained the ministry for another year. Uh, you had more than a thousand uh, people planning to attend and then COVID hit literally weeks before. The hotel had been booked, uh, people had booked their rooms and their flights, the speakers were all lined up and then suddenly people were canceling their flights and their rooms. No one was flying, let alone to a conference of a thousand people gathering you know, in a small space. And there you were facing uh, with cancel, faced with canceling your biggest event of the year and potentially a huge financial hit so I want you to talk, first of all, about how did that feel to you? What was the feeling in the pit of your stomach? And then what happened? Well, I will start by saying that 2020 will forever be remembered in my life as the year that God brought me to the place where I had to surrender any dependence I had on my own competency. There's that word surrender again. <laughs> I know, but my own competency, because as we were talking we acquire skills and we become unconsciously competent. I mean, there's just things that we know. There's a well-developed intuition. And this past year, I had to surrender all of that and look to God. So it was March 12th. Um, the conference was the 1st of April. And I was on the phone with the Hyatt Regency. And we were going through a procedure, a policy manual on everything that could happen. And if you remember in March, people knew very little bit of, very little about COVID. So I was almost breaking out in a sweat as they were going through the policy manual. And then after that call, um, literally the governor shut everything down. So it was game over. So now all of a sudden I was faced with this isn't going to happen. Um, it can't happen. And just the way we work, you're right. We put everything into that conference. So I sat there with that feeling of we're bankrupt. It's over. And I remember going to God, so everything that you've done, which there were miraculous things that happened all year, that's halting to an end. And I had this feeling of, I know you didn't just do that for me. I mean, these wonderful things that I saw and I, and I, I skipped the why Lord. And I went to, what do I do? how do I walk through this? Because this was an experience I never had. I, I hadn't really faced anything like this. And, and I did, I completely surrendered everything in that moment to him. And then I was trying to get a, and then I tried to get a hotel and they weren't responding because they knew what was coming. And I knew that I couldn't make an announcement until I did the right thing with the hotel. In that moment, the phone rings and it is a, a tech professional from a web firm that I had been working with about building a digital platform for the future to train millions of leaders in the future. And he calls and he says, Tammy, you've been in the back end with me and I know that we aren't actually working together, but are you still having your conference? And I said, well, no, 
but I have things that I need to do before that. And he said, well, I just came out of a meeting with our senior leadership team and that platform we've been looking at, we think we might be able to manipulate it. And you have enough tech skills that if you build it with us together, we'll gift it to you for free. Wow. I mean, I didn't even know to answer that prayer. And then I had this reality of it's scary that he thinks that I'm that tech savvy, but that's okay. <laughs> and I jumped and got the board aligned and everything. And then we saw, because Christian Leadership Alliance had never been tested rich. I mean, we've met, we've done things, but we hadn't called them to something higher. And the entire faculty flipped with us and they recorded their content and we learned this platform. And then God did, and we were the first one to do a a virtual event that year. So Mm -hmm. we were leading out. And then at the close of that event, and we had it on demand for a while, God said, go global. Now, Rich, global reach and training and equipping was on the five-year plan for 2024. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I spent a day in a meeting and I left and I knew that was what God wanted me to do. I asked if they could extend the platform to us. And then I went to sleep for 16 hours. Wow. And when I got up in 30 days, he enabled, and they came through my, my inbox, he enabled 10 global contacts. And we went on, went on to host from August to September, the first ever global digital experience sponsored from CLA. We were equipping leaders in 40 countries and 20% of those countries had a Christian population of less than 5%. And the reports back were, you are water in our desert. We added 60 more pieces of content that had a global perspective and we ran 54 live events through the platform. And all I did for that whole month was just watch God do miracle upon miracle through the digital platform. And my heart broke for the entire world. Mm -hmm. I always thought my heart was in Haiti and that that was my ministry. And that was where we had been serving so many years, but I just saw this enormous need and that completely transformed me as God accelerated what was our plan and lined it up with his plan. And now we're on a journey that there's no turning back. Now we're in the process of building that network. So in 2021, we believe we'll be training in 85 countries. And I think you told me that, um, you know, talk about turning lemons into lemonade, um, that that conference last year, which you literally had, you know, three or four weeks to retool and go virtual, you reached a lot more people, even in the U.S., than you would have oh, yeah. in a face-to-face conference. Absolutely. So in a face-to-face conference, maybe 1,000 or 1,200 leaders you know, fly in for it. But the virtual conference, you had a multiple of that, didn't you? The people accessing the content? Yes. That content was viewed 59,000 times. Wow. I mean, it, it, it's stunning. And again, it's a reminder of technology, what God makes possible. And we hear all the bad side of technology, but like anything, it can be redeemed for good. Mm -hmm. Um, And just the story upon story of a a Pakistanian Christian leader. And I mean, you know, he's a pastor, he's Pakistan Christian, and he is in Bethlehem. Mm. And in Bethlehem, they can't get it out. And he takes care of um, refugees. And then they go and they share the gospel along the Western Bank and Muslim communities, which we know how dangerous that is. He got a hold of the link and he said he was huddled up with his team and his church. And they were watching this and it was water in the desert that they would have never had access to that kind of content and equipping. And I, I had no idea that that was what God set into motion. So For me, you said, you know, how did you feel in that moment? I think in that moment when we're facing great duress or stress or uncertainty, we just have to say, what God, not why God, but what God, what do you need me to do? And I say yes to you before I even know what the answer is. Yeah, no, that's good. And, you know, it occurred to me that uh, COVID-19 was literally, I don't want to be overdramatic, but unprecedented in world history as I sat watching uh, leaders respond. Of course, we had government leaders respond. We had uh, leaders in academia and our school systems having to respond. We had businesses and corporations having to respond. 
the churches had to respond and, and nonprofits and every leader in every organization in the world was confronted with uh, very, very difficult decisions and uh, just an unprecedented event that I think we'll look back on historically uh, and, and probably learn a lot uh, as we look back and reflect on, on what happened and what it did to different organizations. And, you know, the other thing about a crisis is that uh, some people say crises build character, and there's some truth to that, but I think crises reveal character as well. And it maybe revealed the character of a lot of leaders uh, as they responded, some in positive ways that will be to their credit and others in ways that are kind of shameful in the way they responded to the crisis. But I want to shift gears briefly, and I want to state the obvious that you are a female Christian leader. And when I got my MBA from Wharton back in the day, out of about 500 first-year MBA students, there were only about 25 women in my class. Today, I looked this up online, the Wharton class is almost 50% female. And that is a huge sea change, uh, not just at Wharton, but in our culture. And if you look at PhDs and master's degrees and bachelor's degrees awarded uh, more than 50%, I think, in every one of those categories is now female. And women in every profession have become very, very significant um, contributors and, and leaders. So my, my question to you is this, as you came up through the ranks, um, what were the obstacles you had to face, maybe uniquely as a woman, to achieve the level of success you achieved? I mean, you were very, very successful early in your career at a time when that wasn't normal for women? Um, well, first of all, you know, I went into retail. And so people would think, well, that's kind of a feminine type of business, right? Fashion retail. But really, it was very male dominated. And so very early on in my career, and I was one of the, at the time, I was the youngest vice president in the organization. So I found myself always at the table and being the only woman at the table. Um, I know that sometimes that disrupted. It was more disruptive for the men around the table than it was me, because I think that they were more thoughtful maybe about their conversation and some of the things that they discussed in the table when they had a woman in the room. But I spent most of my for-profit life knowing that to be true, just always being in that kind of situation. And for me, I never felt compelled that I needed to show up and be like a man. And again, I'll go back and say, I think that that had a lot to do with when I came to know Christ early at an early age and the way that I was discipled and the things that I understood. I respected men and what they brought and that I knew that I had something that could complement their thinking. And, and I just had to be able to be confident in expressing those thoughts and ideas. And that served me well all through my retail career. And it wasn't until I got into Christian publishing that I found the language for all of it. Um, we were doing a book with um, Emerson Egrich and his wife, Sarah. It was called Love and Respect. And it was really a marriage book about how men are wired and how women are wired. And they talk about this crazy cycle. But they talked about the deep needs in a woman and the deep needs in a man and a man. And after I read the book, we spent a full day brainstorming about the next book. And I said, I think y'all need to make this a leadership book because there's so much truth in this about what's being said. And I believe that my success has been that I've never, I've always respected men and who they are and how God's created them. And I've always been confident in who I am in a woman. And that works. That's always worked really well. And I said, I think there's a lot that we could learn about leadership, and especially now that there are more women. In fact, I looked at a survey back in 1985 of Christian Leadership Alliance, and there were only 15% women. And today it's over 40%. So I think as women wow. have taken on roles of responsibility and they've done well, it just has built trust over time. And so that they're the, the doors, more doors open to women today than they ever opened in the past. But I think 
I know it sounds odd, but I think my I think my success was I didn't try to be a man. I didn't try to compete like a man. Mm-hmm. I came in my understanding and wiring as a woman to the table. So that's great. A follow up question. Um, so you've worked for secular and Christian organizations. And um, uh, several years ago, I was part of a working group that <clears throat> reviewed a a comprehensive survey of the evangelical world of organizations. And it looked at how many women in evangelical organizations were either in senior leadership positions or board seats. And then they compared that to um, secular organizations and nonprofits and for-profits. And not surprisingly, the evangelical world was much, much lower uh, in terms of female participation in senior leadership, board positions, et cetera. So it's kind of amazing that um, you are the CEO of the Christian Leadership Alliance, um, a woman in a job in a sector of society, our evangelical world, where it seems to be more difficult for women to achieve senior leadership positions. How do you think that happened? And uh, have you had any negative reaction from your member organizations or participants that uh, being a woman in that level of leadership, I think it's a great thing. And it's a great, it's a great symbol, I think, for the the whole Christian world that um, if you don't have women in your senior leadership positions, uh, what are you waiting for? You know, exactly. Well, I, I would say that my time at Thomas Nelson probably was my best preparation for Christian Leadership Alliance. So it was a faith based organization, but it was for profit mm-hmm. when I went into it. And so I went from book retailing into book publishing. So I knew a lot about book retailing, but I didn't know the ins and outs of publishing. And when I stepped into that role, I had seven vice presidents that were all men that had over a hundred years of experience in publishing. They had blue blood, you might mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And I learned in that lesson that even though, um, you know, they reported to me, they were experts in what they knew. And so what was important is not to showcase me. So let's say publisher weekly would call and they want to know about the hottest trend in, in Bible or in fiction or whatever the topic was. It could have been easy to just like take that stage, but I didn't. I said, well, you need to talk to this leader in the organization. And so I made my team the go-to experts Mm -hmm. and um, gave them those opportunities every day. So I think it built built trust um, and they knew that I was for them and supportive of them and that it wasn't about me trying to build my platform. And I think it's the same in Christian Leadership Alliance. I mean, I'm very careful, Rich. I don't I don't keynote at my at our conferences. Um, I always say I do blog posts on holidays because they might be less read. Um, so it's not about me. I'm I'm responsible for creating the places and space where leaders can convene and that they can exchange wisdom. Now, when I came to CLA, it was interesting. I got a call like two weeks on the job and I'm in my 10th year now. And it, it was this woman and she said, I'm so glad you're there now. What are you going to do for us? Yeah. And I was like, what am I going to do for you? I'm, I'm still just trying to figure out this nonprofit world and and what this is all about, you know, so I'm in that first 90 days. And so we started doing women's forums at the following conference in 2013. And it was bringing women together. And we had a lot of speakers that were kind of helping women wrestle with some of those ideas, like, how does it feel? How do I adjust to being, you know, a woman? This is a male dominated area. And then people have real biblical theology about what women should be doing and not doing. Um, so there were some obstacles with all of that. And then I created a, a retreat where women come together every year in person and we invest in each other. So it was building up a network of women that would encourage other women mm-hmm. and was safe for them to go. But as I said, when I looked back in 1985, 15% of the people that were involved yeah. in CLA were women. And today it's, you know, approaching 50%. And I feel that women are just growing in their confidence and their passion and that they know that Lord may call them into a ministry. Mm-hmm. And now they have the tools and resources to know how to set that up and to be faithful to follow that through. 
So it's been exciting to see more women come, you know, just realizing what God has called them to do and seeing them actually doing it. You know, one of the things that was encouraging to me at World Vision, World Vision was on the vanguard of, you know, promoting and elevating women. And in fact, right now at World Vision, the chair of the International Board of Directors is a woman and the chair of the U.S. Board of Directors is a woman. Um, at one point before I left World Vision, we had seven regional vice presidents that ran the world, right? They, they each had 10, 15 countries that they were responsible for. Four were women and three were men. And some of these regional vice presidents who were women were in regions where male, cultural male dominance, you know, like Latin America, uh, kind of that macho male culture of male dominance in, in sub-Saharan Africa, where uh, women rarely held leadership positions in some of those countries. And yet World Vision elevated uh, women to these very, very senior jobs of national director and regional vice president. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons World Vision has been so successful that, you know, the you can almost attribute the growth of World Vision to uh, more inclusive leadership, not just by gender, but also allowing uh Christian nationals in places like Uganda and Zambia and Bolivia uh, to to lead their own countries uh, instead of imposing Western white male leadership uh, on a country in Africa. Uh, most of our leaders in that continent are indigenous leaders uh, who uh, know their country and their culture, and they have uh, the pride and dignity of actually doing the work in their own country to help their own people. And that recognition of diversity by World Vision and really kind of parsing out the leadership responsibilities more equitably, I think, has been responsible for a great deal of growth and success over the years. Well, and it would be interesting. I, I just what would be so interesting about that, Rich, is if you went back and you had the opportunity to really study those women that were in those. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at what kind of servant leadership they brought to those roles and how they were able to connect. I mean, that would be fascinating to really understand what the common threads were. There was a someone that I knew was working on their PhD and they studied women who were presidents of Christian colleges. Mm -hmm. And she found eight key characteristics. And there were two that really stood out. A woman in those colleges, they, they found that they were willing to step up to something messy and hard. Mm -hmm. That you know, a man might have said, that's, you know, someone else should take on that challenge. But the women were like, okay, I'm going to be patient and I'll do the hard work to make it right. And then the second thing was that they actually had a male who sponsored them and had faith. So in World Vision in your role, um, it was a sign of faith that you would put women into those roles. And probably if you looked at them, they came with a servant heart and there may have been really hard things that they had to work through in those roles. But again, that yeah. would just be interesting to study. That'd be a good book, Rich. Yeah. Well, maybe that'd be my <laughs> next book. Um, you know, speaking of, of books, um, as you know, Tammy, and you've been gracious to endorse that I've written a book called uh, Lead Like It Matters to God, Values Driven Leadership in a Success Driven World. And one of the things uh, that motivated me to write that book was that I feel like our traditional values seem to be under assault in in our country. You know, there have been corporate scandals. You think of the opioid scandals where the drug companies were literally pushing drugs that were killing their customers. There's been sports cheating scandals, you know, the Houston Astros and uh, baseball. And there have been scandals in the church. You know, the there's also been the Me Too movement that has revealed deeply ingrained cultures of harassment, uh, not just in corporations, but in government and academia, in, in, in the church, uh, virtually, of course, Hollywood and entertainment. And then to cap it all off, if we're kind of listing all of the places where our values are uh, deteriorating, we just have to look at our politics, you know, where any sense of decency, integrity and truthfulness has been under assault for a number of years now. So I want you to uh, comment on that. And Putting your CLA hat on, what would you want to say to the Christian leaders in your network about 
how they should be leading in these times and and maybe comment a little bit on the values that are most important for Christian leaders to uh, embrace? Well, first I'll, I'll just carry on with the theme that I think surrenders everything. I think for all of us to be diligent um, to the instruction Paul gives us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that every day it's it's important that we become a living sacrifice. It's our duty. It's our act of worship. And that we don't conform to the world, that it is important that we have to stay grounded in God's word and we have to be attuned to him. And what I love about that scripture is as we do those things, that's how we can learn the good, perfect and acceptable will of God. And imagine this world if Christian leaders all were leading center to God's perfect will. So that can only be accomplished through surrender and the disciplines that follow that. Then I think integrity is so important. Our word is our word. Um, and there's so much power. I mean, we've, you know, there's been so much written about the power of our word to give life or take life away. There is the word that we give and how we walk that word out. And the world is watching. Um, and to be in this place of surrender and guided by the Holy Spirit and then to be able to do the things that God is directing and ordained, just like Jesus did. You know, he had to get away so that he knew how to walk. And he only said and he only did as the father directed. And his words were well chosen. Right. And today they still give us life. Mm -hmm. So integrity in our word and our walk. And then I think vision is important because the world is desperate for hope. They need to see something more beyond what it is. And as leaders, we seek God's revelation in our life and what he's calling us to do. It transforms us and only transformed leaders can transform others. Right. So vision mm -hmm. is so important. And then perseverance. Now, I have an interesting story about perseverance. So the go to verse that I've always had for that was in First James, you know, where we were supposed to count up pure joy when we face trials of many kinds and that. You know, that's the building, you know, perseverance that builds our faith, then it has its way with us. And then we be complete and mature and lacking in nothing. And that was the first time I ever memorized it had the word persevere. And then in another season, that word perseverance was patience. Let patience have it work its work in you so that you will be complete, mature and lacking in nothing. And then I read it again and it said endurance. And so in perseverance as a value, it's the grit to stay the course, to do the hard work. And sometimes that grit requires pushing through and doing the unthinkable. Sometimes it's waiting and being patient to God to move first, or it's mm -hmm. just the strength to get it done. So I think perseverance, we are in a time where we are strengthening our muscles to persevere mm -hmm for what God has next for us and this world. You know, um, in my book, I, I talk about 17 critical leadership qualities or values, and you've just mentioned five of them. So integrity, vision, perseverance, surrender, and sacrifice are all hallmarks of a godly Christian leader. And um, one of the concerns I've had in, again, writing this book is that while the secular world has a lot to teach us about leadership and management and excellence. Um, the secular world also has a lot that we don't want to be taught, right? And sometimes the leaders who are glorified in our culture are the aggressive, take no prisoners, do whatever you have to do to succeed kinds of leaders. And my worry is sometimes Christian leaders adopt those personality traits or values because they see them modeled in the, in the secular world. And they see the, the, you know, sometimes the people on the cover of Forbes and Fortune or the people at the top of the Forbes 400 wealthiest people list are these brazen, you know, aggressive leaders who are the opposite in many ways of the character of Christ, right? Uh, and uh, words like humility and compassion are uh, important leadership qualities that you don't necessarily hear from the secular world. Uh, that, yeah, we want humble leaders. We want compassionate leaders. We want um, 
you know, leaders that love and care for their staff, uh, those kinds of leadership qualities. Um, and you also don't hear a lot about uh, leaders need to surrender, right? You know, surrender, never, you know, we'll fight to the death. We'll never surrender. I'll never surrender to everything. That's why I'm a great leader. Well, it's just the opposite for a Christian leader. Surrender is where leadership begins. So I, I think those, uh, those values become for the Christian leader, kind of the North star of their leadership to help them navigate all the challenges that they, that they face. Um, well, we're coming toward the end here, but I wanted to give you a chance to say something to the people who are listening uh, today. And, and here's my question, Tammy, based on your years at the Christian Leadership Alliance, uh, maybe there's something we haven't touched on today, but you think is important for Christian leaders to hear. Such a good question, Rich. Um, I think what comes to mind, and I've just even felt it since the beginning of this global pandemic and some of the things that we've been going through, is that as Christians, um, we have to acknowledge that we're not in control, right? Um, we have to be in a place where we, in this crisis moment, we have to have the ability to think the unthinkable and break through to create new realities. Um, and that we have to know that God entrusted this time to us. So I think what I would say is that God is on the move and doing something epic in this time and place. I mean, he's got the whole world's attention right now, right? With the things that are going on. And I think every leader is standing in mm -hmm. their own Esther moment. You know, we've heard that for such a time as this. And so what mm -hmm. I would say is that wherever you are in the midst of what's going on, this is a God-ordained assignment and be faithful in it because you and I could have made an appearance on the timeline of eternity in so many different places, but we're here today. And when we see the things that are happening in the world and how quickly mm -hmm. so many things are changing around us, it can be shocking. But if we just say, what God, and you've given us this time, what do we do? How do we partner with you each and every day to accomplish your plan, mm -hmm. not our plan? I love that Esther moment because uh, that story in scripture is just a, a poignant story about the courage to do the right thing, the, the, the courage to recognize that God has placed you where you are for such a time as this. And, uh, and that um, how you lead, how you act, the decisions you make, have consequences and um, for the kingdom. So that's great. Well, I, my last question, I want to, I want to read you a passage from my, my book, and I just want you to react to it. And it's funny that I selected this passage before our talk today. And we've talked about this already, but I'm going to read it. And here it is. When we surrender our lives to God, it comes with a cost. There will be a real price to pay because we are replacing our ambitions, priorities, and dreams with his. God wants to repurpose us. Follow God in the small things, and he may someday use you to achieve great things. You are God's hands and feet in this world, and he will use you if you'll let him. Well, that, that's almost, that almost sums up this entire conversation that we've had. Um, and it's so true. I, mm -hmm. It also reminds me that, you know, following Jesus, yes, there's a cost to it. I mean, he never promised that it would be great. But on the day of my salvation, you know, I went to my brother and I said, I don't want to live another day without Jesus in control of it. And candidly, brother, I don't even know what that means. And he threw me in his car and he drove me to his pastor. I got on my knees. I'm sure I prayed all the appropriate prayers and they scheduled my baptism. And on the way back from that visit with his pastor, he said, I'm so excited for you because your life is going to be filled with thrills, romance and adventure. And I'm so excited that you're going to see all that. And, you know, I just, you know, celebrated. I mean, I came to Christ in 1980. So 41 years I've been following Jesus. And what I can say is that there is no greater thrill than knowing him and following him. There's no greater romance than to experience the breadth and the width and the depth of his love and just being lost in his amazing grace. And there's no greater adventure than saying, yes, Lord, I will, before you even ask. Wow, what a great way to end. That was 
poignant uh, that that last uh, last bit. Well, Tammy, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing some of your wisdom, uh, leadership wisdom. Just uh, before we leave, if anybody listening wants to sign up for the annual CLA Outcomes Conference in June, what can they expect at that conference and how can they do it? Um, they just need to go to www.outcomesconference.org. Um, we have three remarkable days planned and um, there'll be 77 workshops. Um, we have five general sessions. We're doing roundtables. We have full day uh, uh, full day intensives. So there is so much to glean, but there will be nothing sweeter than sharing this time with leaders who share a passion to advance God's purpose and his kingdom outcomes in this world today. Well, that sounds great. And uh, I look forward to that conference. I'm going to participate in it as well. And I urge our listeners to, uh, to tune in or fly down uh, to, uh, to be part of it. So uh, thank you and uh, may God prosper that conference. Thanks for joining Rich Stearns today on the podcast and check out his new book, Lead Like It Matters to God, Values-Driven Leadership in a Success-Driven World. In this book, Rich draws on his experience as a CEO in three different organizations to offer important insights and advice for Christian leaders. Learn more about the 17 leadership values that can transform your own leadership effectiveness. Lead Like It Matters to God is available in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook formats.